the second largest population of people living in the U.S., for example, are mostly Hispanic or Latinx, right? They have Spanish as their primary language or secondary language is the second most spoken language in the country. And it's one that's largely spoken in Canada as well. And that being said, a lot of those people are also petrarchs. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Whisker Talks. I'm Adam Greenbaum, founder and CEO of Whisker Cloud. Today, I have Juan Orwela on with me. I pronounced it right. You pronounced it perfect. <laughs> okay. Now, early on in Whisker Talks, there was like this running joke. I was pronouncing everything wrong. I was pronouncing the cities where people lived. And, and I asked you before we recorded, I said, listen, I, I suck. And I'm stupid for asking this, which you thanked me for asking you. But I said, I don't, I don't want to mess this one up. Let's get it right. But yeah, man, I'm excited to have you on. I think the perspective you're about to be able to offer everyone is just incredible. And, and I'm so excited for everything that we're doing at Whisker Cloud with the Latinx Veterinary Medical Association. So welcome. Happy to have you here. And yeah, can you kind of just tell everyone who you are and what you're up to right now and, and all of that fun stuff? Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me on your platform. You know, it's a, it's quite the honor. Like you said, I, I did thank you for asking the pronunciation of my last name. I think that's important nowadays, especially. And there has a lot of value. You know, that has a lot of value. So, um, yeah, I appreciate that. And so I'll tell you a little bit about my story, kind of where I'm from and how I got to where I am. And then you can ask any additional questions. So that's what you like. Perfect. Great. <laughs> awesome. So my name is Juan Sebastián Orjuela. I am a third year, oh, actually now a fourth year veterinary student at the Ontario Veterinary College in Guelph, Ontario, Canada. And I am originally from Bogota, Colombia. I was born there and moved to the United States when I was 10 years old with my family. We migrated to St. Paul, Minnesota. And I ended up moving during my sophomore year of high school to Wisconsin Rapids, Wisconsin, which is a town of 18,000 people, very small. And after I graduated high school, I moved to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where I went to the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee and graduated with a bachelor's in biology and conservation. After graduating from Milwaukee, I moved to New York City, where I practiced as a veterinary technician for almost two years before I got my acceptance letter to veterinary school. So that kind of changed things up and I picked up and moved again. And that's how I ended up here in Canada. I'm currently residing in London, Ontario, um, because everything's virtual for, um, for veterinary school due to COVID. So I was able to kind of be more flexible where, you know, with where I was currently. So yeah, that's a little bit about me and, and my background with, with how I got here. So you're in, you're in vet school now. Mm-hmm. I don't miss college and I graduated <laughs> early and I, you know, it was, it was weird. I, I went to college in Las Vegas and the college UNLV is right, right off the strip. So, you know, and I did night school cause I was working. So it was crazy. Like you'd be walking to class and you have the entire Las Vegas strip just staring at you like, no, come meet your friends. Have <laughs> that <sounds> amazing. <laughs> yeah. But you're saying it's virtual. It, is it a hundred percent virtual right now with COVID? So yeah, anything that's not really interactive, it's virtual. So because I'm a, I just graduated as a third year student, third year is usually our surgical years. So we that's when we start doing spays and neuters and getting more hands-on experience. So that part of it was hands-on. We, we were able to go and do surgeries, obviously at a reduced rate of 
participants uh, just so we can socially distance everybody properly. But all of the lectures and all of the other education, you know, was all virtual. So uh, we didn't really get to kind of enjoy that experience that is that, you know, like being around your your classmates and, you know, kind of decompressing with them and, and, and kind of socializing, which is, I think, a huge aspect of veterinary school and, and a very valuable um, thing that students really enjoy, you know, because the, the environment is very stressful. It's very hardcore. So like having those people to kind of relate to and, and, and talk with and, you know, even learn with um, is very vital for a lot of us. So it, it was tough, but we are very resilient um, individuals as veterinary professionals. And, you know, we, we can adapt to any extreme or abnormal situation that is thrown our way. And I think um, that that worked in our favor with, with this whole pandemic. Okay. At this point, you're a fourth year vet student. Have you done a spay and neuter by yourself, like no one else standing there? Well, you always, you know, need supervision because we're still students and, you know, anything can go wrong at any moment. I did do a full uh, spay uh, with supervision, which I'm very proud of. My other surgery partner was out that specific day. So then I got to do the whole thing by myself. Usually what we do is we have a first and a second surgeon and the first surgeon does like half the does surgery and then this the second hurt surgeon does the other half and we have an anesthesiologist as well so i i was very excited obviously i felt bad for my for my um partner but i was very excited that i got to do it all by myself from start to finish but otherwise you know it, it's still an amazing feeling to get even half of a surgery done and accomplished um you know it's it kind of makes you feel like you're actually becoming a doctor and it's kind of putting everything into perspective, all the hard work of all the other years of vet school of just studying and, and learning from lectures. <laughs> so it brings that passion. It like, it, it you know, ignites that passion that you have prior to even getting to vet school because, you know, all, all the heavy load of, of material that we're introduced to, it can be very, it dissuades us from like really, wanting to to enjoy the profession much because it's just so much information and we're just burnt out all the time and um we, we just want to get our hands you know dirty and like working hands-on with with uh, clinicians and, and learning more um of the of the clinical stuff in person is is just what we all aim to get to as first year veterinary students. So uh, I think third year is probably the most rewarding. I, I obviously can't say much about fourth year, but everybody says it's even better than third year because you're in clinics every day until you graduate. So I'm very much looking forward to that. <laughs> I, I like that you said burnt out all the time. I mean, I've had so many vet professionals on here that are saying they're burnt out all the time, 10 to 15 years in. I didn't realize it started so early in the profession. It's it's that's, that's so interesting to hear. And I, and I, and it's so interesting when I think about veterinary medicine, like the emotion that must go into it. Like when you were doing that spay, how nervous were you scale of one to 10? Well, the interesting thing is that I think during my first surgery where, um, you know, it was my first time scrubbing in and then being a surgeon was probably the scariest, but I think surgery is all about having confidence. And I'm, I'm a very confident person when it's like comes to hands-on things. Not so much like taking an exam. I'm less, less confident in, in that aspect. But I, I, I was, you know, in my head a little bit. And, and, and once I got in there, I was like, 
you know, I feel like I know what I'm doing. It was easy for me to identify um, any structures that we needed to kind of, you know, identify to to our clinician and and, and kind of all the steps necessary to do a successful uh, surgery. But by the end of it, when I did my last surgery, which was entirely from start to finish, just me, I knew exactly what to do. I, I didn't ask any questions. I was I, I was very confident. I felt like I was just in the right place. And it just flew by. And, you know, it, it, it was just like as soon as you know it, it's over and it's completed and the patient's recovering. And it's just such a satisfying feeling. So for any veterinary student, it, it, starting off is extremely scary. But once you get in there, if you really believe in yourself and and, you know, you tell yourself, you know, I, I've seen these anatomical pictures thousands of times. I, I know the, the steps to performing a successful spay or neuter. You know, I can do this. Then it it just kind of happens. And then all of a sudden you're a surgeon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's anytime I like I had uh, Dr. Phil Zaltzman on. Anytime I have people on here and we talk about surgery, I'm thinking like, and I'm, I'm recording this right now, 90% of the time uh, during COVID, when we started the podcast, my wife was working from home. And during these podcast episodes, she would take our two dogs and the cat upstairs to our bedroom and, and, you know, and, and they would be away. And right now she's back to work and I've got a snoring Boston Terrier behind me and a, and a, and a sleeping tabby cat. And, and it's interesting. I, I think about them. And in fact, last night, my wife was cutting the cat's nails and I think she got a little bit of the quick and there was a little bit of blood and, and, and she felt bad all night. And I think like, yeah, we're, we're terrified to clip their nails. You're sitting here talking about your first time, like performing a spay. It seems freaky. Yeah, it's, it's freaky, but you know, all of vet school, like we were talking about burnout earlier. We are just, you know, we come in from undergrad with thinking that we've been through the the worst, you know, undergrad just seems like an intense moment, especially like prior to graduation. And then you enter this profession where it's like double the amount of credits that you were taking in undergrad. The amount of information is just astronomical and on different species. It's not just one species, right? And then you're expected to remember and like, regurgitate all that in an exam as much as possible. So as you could imagine, um, a lot of veterinary professionals, students, um, we are very much type A individuals, right? We like to be perfectionists. We like to feel prepared and, and just feel like we know everything. So we are prepared. And, you know, coming into that environment, especially after battling to get into vet school, because it's very, very difficult to enter the profession, um, you feel like, you know, you should be, you know, a top student pretty much. And then once you start taking those exams and you start kind of getting, seeing the results of, of your work, then it's a little bit demoralizing because you just don't get the same grades that you did in undergrad, right? Like my GPA plummeted. And, and, you know, when you enter vet school, they tell you your grades don't matter. And hundred percent, they don't matter. I, I really don't ever really focus on my grades. Um, even if even if you're thinking on doing a specialty, they say that's the only time where your GPA really matters. I wouldn't even focus on your GPA then. I mean, I, I would keep you know an eye out for for a big drop in your GPA or anything like that. But I think that at the end of the day, it's about who you know, your ability to network, your ability to make connections with people, to have a, a good personality that you know anywhere you go, you're gonna pretty much have a good working environment with any team, right? It's all about teamwork. So, you know, the profession going into it, it's, it's, 
it's it's a lot to handle, right? So um, the, the burnout is, is there because we have such high expectations for ourselves as individuals. And, you know, it's everybody's dream, right? We, we worked so hard to get here. And now it's like, what do we do now, right? Well, we're already in. What are my next goals or my next steps? And, and we sometimes we lose track that we're just like, hey, we're in vet school. We need to, sit, you know, get through to vet school and then see what's going to happen next. Um, but yeah, it just all of that combined, all those emotions and, and learning a new curriculum and learning all this new information, it's just, it just overwhelming, you know, as a first year student. I think that's when I struggled the most with burnout. You know, I, you almost like lose sense of your your individuality. <laughs> you go in there as an individual, you're like, hey, I went through through college, I have a university degree, awesome. And then you get there and then you you feel like a student again, like you just don't know much and you're just like not prepared for life and all that stuff. So th- there's a lot to it. And the expectations are high, right? Like as veterinary doctors, people don't realize that like I mentioned earlier, we learn more than one species. We're supposed to be knowledgeable in more than one species. And um, in real life, clients expect us to just know everything uh, right off the bat. So for a lot of us who have worked in clinics and as assistants or technicians, we, we've seen that in, in practice where clients just expect the doctors to know everything. So we go in with that expectation that we're just supposed to retain everything that we're taught. And that's not the reality, right? You retain some stuff, really important stuff. And I think as you go through the years in vet school and as you get hands-on experience, that's when you start retaining most of the information where you're actually putting it into practice. And that's what a lot of students just kind of need to realize. I wish I would have been told that like by an upper year, like strictly set me down and said like, hey, this is what is going to happen. And and don't worry if you if you feel like you can't remember everything that you've learned. You're not dumb. You're not... You know, you're so you belong here. You're you're supposed to be here. You're not an imposter because you know you've heard about imposter syndrome, and that's a whole different <laughs> can of worms that we can jump into. Uh, I could talk about that all day, but imposter syndrome is something that definitely is very prevalent in our profession, especially for like first year students and second year students because they're just entering this entirely complex environment and and I suffered from from imposter syndrome 100 percent and I, I would still say that I, I still struggle with it and and yeah as a person of, of color and and from being a different background I, I think I'm more prone to getting imposter syndrome because I don't see many people that look like me or act like me at my school or or in the profession right so I'm Latin American I'm from Colombia and um, and I'm one one of the only students in my class that that identifies that. So it, it's very, it's very much like a shock. Um, and, and that's where the imposter syndrome really originates, I think, for for people like me. Yeah, that's interesting. And, you know, I'm just a white guy. So, you know, I hear things like that. And, and I have thoughts. And, and, and you know, before this uh, recording, I talked to you a little bit about that. I mean, you know, even what you just said, I said, I, I struggle Daniel Lambert, who works here at Whisker Cloud, who I'm very close with, her and I have had a lot of talks about that. I struggle with this. I have a company that is 90% female, probably higher. And I would say in terms of total employees, and this and this feels weird. So if you're out there listening and it feels weird, um, it feels weird for me to say this. And and I, you know, and I that's kind of what I want to talk to you about. It feels weird for me to say like half of our team is not white. 
And in fact, it might be more than half. We're in Southern California. It's really diverse. Whisker Cloud is far and away the most diverse company I've ever been a part of. I own it. And it's not by design, as weird as that sounds. It's completely not by design. I guess I don't care. And I think it's really easy for just any white person to be like, yeah, I don't care. Oh, I don't even give a shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the easy way out. But it's truthfully not by design. You know, you're, you're working right now with the head of our web development team. She's a, she's a Hispanic female. Go look at Whisker Club was just named one of the top 21 web design companies in America. We are the only one that works exclusively with veterinary professionals. And we do that. And I don't know these other companies, but my guess is just being in the tech space for a long time. If you were to go meet the head of their development teams across the board, I don't think you'd find many Latin female people in those positions. And it's not by design. She's a freaking badass. She's way better than I am. So of course I want her here. I don't give I don't really care what anyone looks like or where they're from, to be honest. I just, do you do good work? Are you a good person? Do you love animals? You work here. So you know, you talked about that, like, you know, you're at vet school. Not a lot of people look like you. Does it, how do I word this without coming off weird? This is going to be an interesting episode for me to listen back to. And my wife, my wife will listen to it and be like, yeah, you maybe shouldn't have said that. And and I told you before, if I say something weird, just call me on it. But like, not at all. Does well, it bug you? Should it bug you? Or do you look, I mean, cause when you were talking about that and you said you were like one of the only ones there, I thought to myself, Wow, that's a good way to stand out. I I mean, I I prefer to stand out. I would I would like people that stand out. And I think that's why our team is the way it is, because it's like, I don't want a bunch of robots that look like each other. I want people who are from different places and who have different backgrounds. Because if I have the same 20 people who all, you know, if I have, oh God, this this tell me if I say something improper here, but here we go. Um <laughs> if I have if I hire the next 10 white people that used to work at Disneyland that are from Irvine or Anaheim, California that work here, guess what? I'm gonna have the 10 same ideas, this the 10 same backgrounds, the 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 10 same outlooks. Whereas if I have people that are from Mexico and that are from different parts of the country and are from Europe, then doesn't that isn't that better? Don't I want someone who's cultured and experienced does vet med see it that way or is there weird blinders there absolutely well i mean you know to start off what you know you're doing with whisker cloud is is a proof of concept right you guys are so successful as a company and i think what you know adds to that success is the amount of diversity that you um embody within your company right you, your leadership uh, being female mostly and, and and just diverse in general um it brings a lot of value and a lot of people um, need to start seeing that value, not just in, you know, tech companies or specific areas, but like just as a whole, like with everything that goes on socially in every profession around the world, right? There's there's a tremendous amount of value. And like you said, it's because we bring a different perspective, right? People from different countries that have lived and grown up in different cultures and have moved to different areas of the world, have experienced and interacted with uh, all kinds of people are going to come into any profession, any team, and share those perspectives and everything they've learned from their interactions with all these diverse amount of people. And that's going to bring a lot of enrichment to not only your team, but the culture that you have established for your company, right? And just like in Whisker Cloud, that is the same in VetMed. Uh, I mean, I can tell you for representing the Latinx, which is people that identify as 
Latin American or Hispanic here in the U.S. and in Canada. And in veterinary medicine, it's it's very important. And the reason is because the second largest population of people living in the U.S., for example, are is mostly Hispanic or Latinx, right? They have Spanish as their primary language or secondary language is the second most spoken language in the country. And it's one that's largely spoken in Canada as well. And that being said, a lot of those people are also pet parents. You know, there, there's a cool statistic out there that says that Lat or Hispanic Latinx people um, own the majority of uh, birds in, in the in the United States, meaning that there is a huge pet owner population that is Latin American. So, where are all these pet owners going to take their their pets? Where are they going to feel most comfortable uh, creating that client doctor relationship? Right. And if they don't have somebody that's representing them or that can connect with them on a, on a different level. Right. It, even if it's speaking the same language that they originally speak, that is native to them. So the importance of having diversity in the veterinary profession, not just for Latinx people, but for a- anybody, even if it's people from India or or part different parts of Asia or black veterinarians. It's really important because veterinary medicine is all about creating a community, creating that community and, and a relationship with the client and the pet, right? And that is going to be more facilitated when you have more of that representation, right? Um, more people may feel more comfortable speaking to somebody that can express their full emotions in Spanish compared to somebody that has no idea what they're saying and probably thinks that they don't want, they don't have the money or the time to care for their pet and, and pass prejudgments on the specific client and pet. So it's a huge, it's a huge vital part of a successful culture and team in veterinary medicine that is finally starting to be considered and and recognized. Right. And, and and I think that is going to be the future of veterinary medicine. Um, There's going to be more representation and there's going to be more, uh, more, a diverse amount of clients coming in with their pets and learning about pet health and 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 just medicine in general and and the importance of it, right? Because not only are veterinarians important just for your pet, pet's health, but from this year we've seen that through the COVID pandemic, veterinarians have had a leading role in in helping the world fight this this pandemic, right? We we we're not just clinicians with dogs and cats we don't just play with puppies all the time we're also uh researchers right we 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 work with um zoonosis so that those are diseases like um COVID-19 that are transferred from animal to human uh we we work with public health very closely all around the world and not until now have people realized that veterinarians do play this role and are very involved you know that the CEO of Pfizer is a veterinarian and not many people know that I didn't know that. Yeah. And I've got the Pfizer vaccine <laughs> there you for go. the last month. <laughs> exactly. So uh, there's many things that veterinarians kind of do behind the scenes, right? And, and when we play such a critical role in, in this society and and just, you know, bringing diversity into our profession and, and, and making it more enriched is going to make the profession regarded in a, in a better way, right? A lot of people around the world, like, see veterinarians are like, as not, maybe not a real doctor. A lot of people say that, which is unfortunate. Um, and, and they don't see much value in veterinarians. Um, and that's because <clears throat> it's kind of been, kind of, uh, it, the profession's been open to just a small group of people that 
because there's no representation, right? It's been a, a very close profession, right? And, and by saying that is like a mostly white profession, right? So um, when, when you bring in more culture, more diverse perspectives, veterinarians that are from different parts of the world, then they'll be able to educate their communities um, on, on the importance of, of, of uh, animal health, on public, public health, and et cetera, everything that veterinarians are uh, involved with. And then in that way, then you're going to educate a whole community on the importance of having these professionals in our communities and the importance of taking your pets to the veterinarian and the importance of getting vaccines for their pets like rabies and parvo and all that stuff because they, they were able to get that straight up from somebody that understands them, that understands their culture, that understands where they're coming from. And and I think that's important, you know. In, in the Latin culture, it is very much a hard thing to understand why you should get your pets spayed or neutered, right? It's a very much, Latin America is very much of a machista society. And uh, by saying that is, why would we want to castrate our, our dogs? You know, you're going to make them less manly. Yeah, it's almost like that sense. And I understand that and I know that and I can say that because I come from a culture that I have seen it firsthand, right? So when I go into a clinic as a future veterinarian or even as a technician, which I've done, you know, um, recently, I, I can go into the into these appointments with these clients and understand their concerns, you know, with, with, with why they don't want to do certain things. Um, and, and I can use what I know to kind of teach them and educate them and, and, and make them more open to the idea of doing it and why it's important. And that's something that other veterinarians that don't have that experience with these communities can't do. Um, you know, I've been used as a translator many times um, in, in, in different practices and I, I've lived everywhere, right? So I've lived in, in Wisconsin and New York City and now in Canada. So I've practiced in, in different environments and I've always you know, have always experienced what um, these pet owners, like the reaction to them introducing themselves to me in Spanish, right? When when a doctor is like, hey, this family just, you know, English is their second language. Can you come come help me and, and, and translate for me? And I'm, I'm always open to that. So I go into these rooms and they just lighten up. And right away, you know, before COVID, we would give each other a hug because it's very familiar to them. Talked in Spanish, where are you from? And, and just right from the start, you create that relationship. All of a sudden, all these barriers and walls that people come in with uh, into the veterinary clinic just kind of collapse. And a lot of these clients also have been previous clients that veterinarians are like, hey, you know, now that you're working here, you know, help me out with this appointment. And then and they're like, by the way, like they don't like to do many things like vaccines and all that stuff. So just they kind of prep me for that, right? So I go in there and then all of a sudden I talk to them and I, I give them my spiel on whatever it's, the matter is concerning. And many of the times they end up doing what the doctor was intending to do in the first place, like a vaccine or spaying and neutering their pets. So it, it just goes to show the impact and the necessity that diversity plays in veterinary medicine. We're not only going to improve society, but we're going to improve the profession. We're going to make it more open to more people. And, you know, the key to that is all about education. So, and I want to take a step back because I want to ask this question. I ask the question of everyone being a big Marvel fan, you know, what's your, what's your superhero origin story? You know, the spider bit your hand. Everyone's probably so tired of me using the Hulk's the gamma ray bomb, but I, and, but I, I'm real curious to hear your, yours only because, you know, growing up in Columbia, you were there till you were 10. You know, everyone says, yeah, I loved animals. I was a part of 4-H. 
is it the same there? And I'll shut up and let you kind of tell your origin story. But I, that's what I was wondering. I'm like, is it the same in Colombia or other places? It is in America where people fall in love with animals or they're, you know, they do 4-H stuff and then they wake up one day and they're like, yeah, I want to do this for work. Is that how it is there? <laughs> Tackle, no, no, it's not. <laughs> I'll just jump right to that. Um, it, it's definitely a different environment in the sense of how we perceive animal health in, in Colombia and, and different places in Latin America, really, because I've interacted with people from all over and I've asked them that same exact question, you know. In Colombia, you know, there, there are veterinarians, uh, but the amount of disrespect towards veterinarians is a lot higher than it is compared to what you would say here in, in, in North America and the US and Canada. Like you talk you hear about, you know, veterinarians being bullied, you know, through social media and all that stuff. Over there it's worse. You know, it's it's just heightened. People think that you're a bad person if you don't want to help animals for free. Uh, they don't understand why we charge for our services. They don't understand the amount of work that we've endured and, and, and education and, and even debt that we've accrued for, uh, from wanting to do this profession. Veterinary professionals are, are, are you know, here because they have a passion for animals. They, they care a lot about animals. They're not in it for the money. And I'm sure you've heard that many times. Um, but, you know, in, in Colombia, it's that's maybe not as understood as much. And like I said, in different parts of, of the world and Latin America. That being said, you know, I grew up in Colombia when I would, now it's different, right? I'll, I'll paint this picture of my childhood, but I just want to make you aware and everybody that's listening aware that, you know, nothing's like this as much or as intense anymore, right? It, things change. Um where, you know, I would, I would, you know, step out my door and, and go downtown and I would see stray dogs, you know, stray dogs are, I wouldn't say everywhere, but they, they are, you, you sight them all throughout the city. And, you know, I always had a love for animals. My, my grandma growing up, she had a parrot that she's had for like 20 years and she was very close, closely bonded with her. And she was just like a huge animal person. So from, from growing up and interacting with my grandma, like I just fell in love with animals. I just felt like I just had this unique connection. And I, I always had felt the need that I wanted to help all these homeless animals that I would see in the streets of Colombia to the point where sometimes I would even bring some homeless dogs and hide them in my closet and feed them. <laughs> um, uh, and, and, you know, my parents would catch me and they would, they'd be like, what the hell are you doing? And I'm like, I'm trying to help these animals. Like I just did, I it didn't, I didn't really understand why there were homeless pets and, and I didn't understand why would people would allow that to happen. So I, I always struggled with that. And I, and I remember that very vividly growing up. So I always just had that passion to like take care of these uh, innocent animals' lives that were voiceless, right? They can um, stand up for their, themselves and, and, and just kind of have a place in society. So I wanted to almost be that for them. And that's where my love for veterinary medicine really was fostered in Colombia and in, in a place in a place where you know animals maybe are not regarded as the primary most important thing for people to kind of take care of right so that that led to me you know just you know I migrated to the United States and um, and ever since I can remember and ever since I was little I just wanted to be a vet so I came to the US and you know I I started walking dogs. <laughs> In the third grade, I, I met this lady on, in Starbucks and she had two little American Eskimo puppies and I just fell in love with them and I was playing with them. And she was, she said, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I'm like, I want to be a veterinarian. So she's like, oh my goodness, that's awesome. 
And my, my middle school was right next to her house. So she was like, why don't you come over after school and, and walk my dogs? You know, nowadays that would be a little creepy. <laughs> you don't really talk to strangers. But back then, like, I, you know, I, I was so in love with these animals and I was so interested that I was like, heck yeah, you know, I get paid for this and I get to spend time with animals and then walk them. Anyway, that whole little job led into me training these dogs in agility and then behavior. And then through that, I met a lot of breeders, animal dog breeders, obviously. And a lot of these breeders show dogs in the AKC and UKC, which are the American Kennel Club and the United Kennel Club. So in the United States. And one of the breeders said, hey, like, you know, if I give you a dog, would you show him for me? And I'm like, oh, my God, I don't even know what that entails. I know nothing. Right. And I growing up is really interesting. Um, I had a lot more older lady friends than actual friends my age it was really funny <laughs> i could just like i just got along with with these individuals more all these animal people and you know i saw this as an opportunity for me to that if i ever wanted to become a veterinarian that this was my foot in the door from a very young age so um i started showing dogs and and as a junior handler and you know and you know i went to competitions in florida and all different parts of the us and then I started high school and that's where I kind of had to um, wing down my amount of showings because, you know, I was busier. And then my family ended up moving to Wisconsin Rapids, which is, you know, away from Minnesota, like three hours away from St. Paul. Um, so I had to stop showing, right? Because I just didn't have the support and, and, and the people that would take me to all these shows and, and train me. But all that, you know, I, I moved to Wisconsin with even a bigger passion for, for veterinary medicine, for, for animals and wanting to do this even more. There was just like this burning fire in me. And um, and obviously I, you know, I did high school and, and graduated and I went right into college. And my purpose was, okay, I'm going to do a pre-vet route, right? And I got into Milwaukee, Wisconsin, the university, and they didn't have any veterinary programs. They didn't have a pre-vet program. They didn't even have a club. And I took that, I saw that as a huge opportunity, right? I, I, I saw that as I can be the first one to, to do something for this university and represent for veterinary medicine. And I decided to open the first pre-veterinary club at the university. And by the end of the time that I graduated, it had like over 30 members, uh, like five different students uh, that, you know, kind of helped me run the club, also got into veterinary school. And yeah, that's kind of how it happened. That's the origin of it all. <laughs> that's I mean, I and I love your story talking about what you did there, because that's what we need. And I say we I'm part of vet med. You can't all kick me out, um, but I'm part of vet med, too. And, you know, and I want to I want to ask another question that kind of builds upon what you were just talking about. I listen to these podcasts and everyone here at Whistler Cloud and my friends and family that listen to it say, I always say, do I come off negative? And they say, no, you ask, you ask questions that are honest. And I, and I feel like the point is there's a lot of negativity in vet med. And I don't think if we all sat here and talked about, you know, this podcast would be pretty boring if we were like, yeah, everything's great. And I love getting to help animals. Well, yeah, that's the stuff we know, but you've obviously been involved in this a long time you go to a college where they don't have it and you sort of start implementing this. You're in school now. You start the Latinx Veterinary Medical Association. So you're doing all of these things. Are you aware as a veterinary student of some of the, oh man, some of like the toxicity and burnout and just issues that people that have been in vet med for 5, 10, 20 plus years 
you're not blind to that. How are you mentally getting yourself ready for it? And I'll, and I'll preface your answer with this. I was the head of marketing for a few other companies. I started another company. It did well. And before I started Whisker Cloud, you know, I, I kind of had this mental chat with myself and I talked to my wife. I said, this is going to suck. This isn't going to be fun. And I'm going to, I'm going to stay true to what I'm passionate about. And I'm going to, and I'm going to give a shit every single day. And I'm going to put a thousand percent in this every single day without fail. And whisker clouds, five-year anniversary is 25 days from today. And I'll say for, you know, basically five years, I haven't slept a lot. I haven't had many mental breaks and, and I've been pushed to my limit. 150 times at least. And, but I also knew this going in. I also knew that if you want to have a successful life, there's one Tom Brady, there's one LeBron James, there's one Michael Jordan, you know, and, and I think people are going to have to figure out going into vet med, you know, there's a lot of people that aren't the people I just named. And then there's a few that everyone knows the name. So knowing that, how do you get yourself mentally prepared? Because you're obviously a really driven guy who's not going to just settle to be just some quiet associate vet works for 30 years in a small town hospital and has a great career and and gets to know the community. It sounds to me like you're looking for more than that. You want to, you know, you want to run the show. You want to own a hospital. You want to, you want to innovate. You want to build communities. You want to do all these things, but you also are going to have to fight the toxicity, the negativity, the imposter syndrome, and, you know, sort of what you talked about, you're not going to look like everyone in the room, which to me, good, but to other people, maybe not good. So all of that being said, how do you read what people talk about on Facebook? How do you read what's in the DVM 360s about burnout? And, you know, how do you read about the suicide stuff and sort of say, okay, I am mentally prepared for this. And I'm, you know, Do you have a limit on how far you're, you know, you feel like you're going to be able to be pushed? And I'm not trying to set you up for like a big negative thing here, but I I just want to hear this from the student's perspective, the driven student's perspective. Absolutely. I mean, like you said, you know, this negative, toxic talk environment is everywhere in veterinary medicine. And that's so unfortunate because it's almost like it's a part of our profession. (laughs) You know, I think that there's been a lot that our profession has endured that has kind of been kept even quiet. You know, everybody keeps their feelings inside and, and just lets them build up. And then just one day everything explodes. And, and and then everybody, it just kind of fosters a negative energy where everybody starts talking about it. And then it just kind of propagates that negative feeling and emotion, right? And it's because we before didn't talk about these problems, right? We, we just, we kind of decided to, or were told to just kind of stay quiet, ignore them, and then do your job. I think what is changing in the profession is that we are getting a new generation of veterinary students that are fully aware of everything that is happening. And with social media, with everything that's blowing up because of COVID-19, especially, you know, like all these people are jumping onto these platforms and talking about their emotions, talking about their experience, and it's making things go viral, right? And it's making more people aware. So I feel like these new generation of veterinary students are going to come out into the profession well knowledgeable on what to expect and prepared on how to handle this. Individually, you know, I I can't say that I have the magic solution for how to like kind of push away all these negative talk and all these negative thoughts. 
because I don't. Um, and sometimes I am consumed by it too, as a student, you know, even as a student, it's, it can be very toxic in my, in my school's Facebook group uh, for our class. There are sometimes that, you know, even with this pandemic, it just kind of showed the true colors of, of the, of the student population and, and the profession that, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, were very negative and including myself, right? Like it was just a negative time. It was a negative year for everybody. Um, but I think the important thing uh, is about being aware of it, right? Being aware that that you're going into a profession that has a lot of issues. Um, but by being aware of it, you should also be prepared to do something about it. And I think that's what differentiates me from a lot of people. Uh and, and I'm not saying that I, I'm in, by any means better than anybody else. I'm just saying that I'm very fully aware about this. And and I've always been the type of person that if I didn't see something that I wanted to see or, or to happen, I would be the one to do it. Um, so be the change you want to be or, or you want to see. <laughs> Sorry, totally <laughs> messed that up. But be the change you want to see. And that's something that I've always kind of lived by, right? Even from from college, starting this pre-veterinary club, I didn't see it and I saw it as an opportunity and I started it. And that's probably what got me into vet school. Um, with the Latinx Veterinary Medical Association, you know, I've I've always been a very curious and 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 kind of people-driven individual. Like I I love interacting with people. I love helping the community. I love building or creating a community when there isn't one that is needed, right? And um, I I went into vet school with, with the mentality that I wanted to have an impact that was beyond just me, like uh, something that was going to positively impact a larger amount of people than just myself. I didn't want to be a clinician like you said, I didn't want to be just a clinician that goes into work every day and does the same thing. And this is like not very satisfied and it's, and it's keeping all of his emotions and, and negative things, you know, bottled up and then all that stuff. I, didn't, I don't want to be that. I definitely don't. But I want to be somebody that could bring awareness and change to the profession in my own unique way. And that's how I kind of went into the profession and I, I always wanted to to create this community because I write as a first year student, I did my research and I saw that there was no representation for the Latinx community in veterinary medicine. Um, there was no association that was, uh, you know, creating a platform for us to be visible or to or to be supported. So I, you know, through social media, I, I'm a big social media person. I have a presence on Instagram. I met and networked with a lot of people, a lot of veterinary students, a lot of veterinarians from all over the world, really. And um, through that, I met amazing people that had the same uh, goals as me. Like, you know, like, why isn't there a community for Latinx people in veterinary medicine? What, you know, what, all these questions, why, why are we not giving the same opportunities as a lot of our colleagues? Why, um, why are there like no scholarships to support us in our, our unique journeys? And um, we pretty much decided to join forces and, and, and make this happen, this organization happen. And I think this is my, what, what kept me going and what kept me away from all the negative um, environments of, of veterinary school, because vet school is very much like you live in a bubble. Right. And I think the problem is that a lot of students, they don't realize that it's a, a, like a bubble until they like are actually told by, by somebody or, or, or 
just kind of giving this talk, I guess, because I've talked to a lot of my peers and, and I've told them that, you know, the, the environment that we're in, specifically at each individual vet school, is not the extent of veterinary medicine, right? Like there's a huge world out there. Um, and I tell people to network outside of their vet schools. I tell people to take opportunities outside of their vet schools because that is going to kind of broaden their exposure and their experience and, and, and their, you know, qualifications in the future as veterinary professionals. So just letting people know that these bubbles are, are not the whole existence of, of, of this individual, of, of your life during vet school is it, a very powerful thing because and then people see beyond that and then they see that they can actually have an impact. They, if they want to see something change, they can do it. Like there's nothing holding them back. They don't need permission from their veterinary school to start a nonprofit organization. They don't need permission in, uh, from their veterinary school to be an ambassador for a specific company or to kind of elevate themselves in different ways. You know, but a lot of veterinary students kind of depend on their schools. And that's where it becomes like its own micro environment that is, is, is very much can be toxic. Right. So, um, you know, as, as a first year student, I, I was very involved. I, I was I wanted to be part of every club. I wanted to just get to know everybody, be everybody's friend. Um, and you soon come to realize that that is maybe not the best thing to do. Right. Because, first of all, you're going to spread yourself way too thin. Um, and, and then you also lose, uh, like sense of yourself. Right. And then when you, when you spread yourself way too thin, then you don't do all the things that you have on your plate, all 100% right. And then when you start doing things like 50% or you start disappointing people and then you start disappointing yourself. So I always tell new veterinary students that don't put so much focus or emphasis on being part of every club or doing everything at your school. You need to have a life outside of your school to, to really thrive. Um, and, you know, and that for me, like did wonders, like with my, with my mental health individually, you know, I, I, I went from a place where I was very uncertain of what I wanted to do. And I was just like burnt out and spread too thin to, I decided to, drop a lot of the things that, that I was um, committed to, like a lot of these clubs and stuff. I, I said, I can't do this anymore. I have to focus on, first of all, my education, and then second of all, just on myself. And by doing that, you know, I was able to kind of come to terms to, with myself, like, okay, this is who you are. This is what you wanted to be from the start. You wanted to have somebody that want to have some sort of social impact, something beyond yourself that is going to help more than just you. And that um, really allowed me to kind of, detach myself from my school and start meeting people through social media and start creating these like communities and, and, and just kind of let the LVMA flourish how it did naturally. Um, so, yeah. So I just, I guess the best advice that I have is to, to kind of keep the negativity away is just being after becoming a doctor, you, you need to also have like passions and interests and hobbies and also giving those things value, right? You can make veterinary medicine your entire life because if you do, then you're never gonna be able to set boundaries for yourself. You're never going to be able to escape that environment when it feels toxic. Um, you, you should create other opportunities outside of veterinary for your outside of veterinary medicine for yourself. Um, and for me, you know, I I found a passion. And like uh, by creating this community, I, I, I love community building. And that's something that I didn't go into vet school being like, oh, I want to 
have a nonprofit, you know, like I, it just kind of flourished uh, naturally. And, and now like that, I, I was able to co-found this nonprofit. It's something that I'm truly passionate about. And now that once I create, once I graduate from vet school and go out into the world, I'll have something else to look forward to, something else to put focus and energy on that is still within the realms of veterinary medicine, but it's also helping a lot of people. It's also opening many doors for me, right? I get to interact with amazing people every day. I get to... Um, I get to have a seat at the table. I, I I didn't find that I had any seat at the table before. And all of a sudden I just brought my chair and 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 created that seat with this nonprofit organization. And and now we have an entire community that has a voice and a bit and visibility and, and a say in this profession. And and that's something that I'm extremely proud for. And, and, and I'm super passionate about, you know, and, and I can't wait for this to flourish and what's to come next. But I guess don't focus on on everything like at the end point focus on each little day on on something to build up to get to that end point and that's what keeps me going right I, what that's what keeps me motivated that's what keeps me positive when I'm in a negative mentality is that I'm doing something every single day to get to that point where I can provide this amazing community of support for hundreds of people all around the US and Canada well, and, you know, you, you made a comment, too, and I've said something similar to people at Whisker Cloud. You know, you said you had you got a seat at the table. You basically brought your own chair. I've said similar things to people, too. I You know, we do em- employee tracking and, and one-on-ones and things like that and promote employee growth. And, yeah, I have people who are like, I want more opportunity. And I'm like, you don't have to sit here and wait for me to say, hey, I want you to do this. Show up with your own chair, have good ideas. If you're good, you'll stay. If not, you know, you'll keep working hard and you'll get there. So I like that you said that. I have a I have a big question that I was like very excited to ask you because every pot like the last five podcasts I've recorded all came back to it's so hard to hire. There's not enough good students. There's this, there's that. So I hear that all the time. Where are all the vets? We can't hire fast enough. We can't hire good enough. So you're kind of, uh, you know, you're graduating college. You're a fourth year. So you're done after this, right? And you're going to go get a job? Yeah. So I, I have this, I started my clinical year on May 17th. And then uh, I graduate pretty much in 2022 a year from now. Okay. So, you know, you know that you're a valuable commodity because you're young, you're smart, you're driven. Um, and, and do you have plans? Like, what is it, what are you looking for in the job you accept? Is it about the city? Is it about the clinic? Is it about what they'll pay you and what benefits they'll give you? I mean, everyone out there listening right now who consistently complains about not being able to hire people. Here you go. We're hearing it from the source. What, what is it going to take to get you hired? Yeah. So I think there's some things that I value the most out of, you know, my whole entire list of things, I guess. I think that mentorship is a huge thing for me, right? I feel like most veterinary students graduate feeling very unprepared. I'm, I'm going into my clinical year feeling very unprepared. I, I'm just like, I just, you know, I know how to take, take exams, <laughs> but I don't know how to put it into practice. And if a clinician asks me a question about, you know, any procedure, I, I don't know if I could regurgitate all that information because I'm used to like going back to my notes. Um, so mentorship for me is probably the most important aspect of, of a future employer uh, that I, I will be looking for um, because I am a hands-on learner. 
I, I learn by doing and, and, you know, I need to get, be given that attention uh, for at least, I would say at least six months before being able to go out into the, the floor, into the clinic and, and just being practicing by myself pretty much. Um, and I think there's a huge value into that. You know, you can't expect veterinarians to graduate from vet school and throw them right into uh, exam rooms and, and, and different procedures because, you know, they're going to make a lot of mistakes. And I think you learn from doing mistakes and mistakes are valuable. But then that's where this mentality that all these vet students are, are, are not as good workers as, you know, as they could be, or it's hard to find. It's because there's a huge lack of mentorship in veterinary medicine. And I know that I'm sure you're aware that that's been a huge topic lately, mentorship, and it's starting to change. We're seeing a lot of change with a lot of different companies providing proper mentorship and promoting mentorship within their marketing, which I think is great. Uh, But it's beyond also just mentorship, right? I think having a culture, a strong practice clinical culture is very, very important. And not just in an aspect of diversity, but in in the aspect of a teamwork, right? You need a team that is understanding, that is going to support each other, that is not going to talk behind their backs, that it's not going to sabotage each other. And, And you see that, unfortunately, a lot in veterinary medicine, you know, like these there's a lot of cultures that are proclaimed as strong cultures, but they're indeed very toxic. And, and I know this because I'm on the side of the vet, of the assistant or the technician. I've been on that side many times, right? And, I, and I'll, I'll be soon on the side of the veterinarian. So I'll, I'm really interested to see how that's going to play out. But we really have to tackle down like teamwork culture, celebrating each other's, you know, strengths and and helping each other with with our weaknesses and just kind of working towards one common goal where everybody's respected and recognized for for their good and their bad, right? And I think that that in terms with mentorship is going to kind of play a a huge role into a lot of veterinary students' uh, decision on where they're going to work after they graduate. Um, also for me, you know, um, a lot of people say that, you know, the pay is the most important, which for me, I, I don't think how much I get paid is as valuable as the amount of mentorship or the culture that I would be joining in a practice. And for me, that reason is because um, even though I'm graduating with over $300,000 in, in debt, which is a lot, a lot of money. You know, I, I feel like if I'm properly mentored and I'm in a, in a good environment that is supportive, I will be able to make up that debt a lot faster than if I was just put into a practice where I was given a huge bonus, not mentored, or and I had a toxic environment, and where I wasn't able to thrive in my learning and, and, and teaching, that I, I would struggle probably in that practice and go to other practices and just kind of spend my first year very unhappy. So I I think a huge advice uh, that I I give a lot of people that are just getting into vet school or there are years under me is that money is really not, it shouldn't be your determining factor on where you're going to work. So I always tell them if the money is there with the mentorship and the culture, amazing. Uh, But if it's not, you should always prioritize mentorship and, and, and culture above anything else. Yeah, so location-wise, you know, I I'm very uncertain on 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 what where I'm gonna live. To be honest, <laughs> I'm in a place as a veterinary student right now, and with everything that I have going on, 
to know where I fit in in veterinary medicine. I, I'm streaming small animal, meaning that I'm doing the small animal route. And I, I'm, I love cats, dogs, and, and, and pocket pets. But like I told you earlier, I, I don't know if if I envision myself being a clinician my entire life, right? Um, and that's what a lot of veterinary students are starting to realize, right? There's a lot more to veterinary medicine than just clinical work. You can work for a pharmaceutical company. You can, you know, work in academia. You can do a lot of different things. Um, so that being said, you know, like a lot of our, the students that are graduating are going part-time. Um, they're deciding not to work full-time and it's because we are fully aware of and, and, and truly scared of practicing and going out into the workforce, into these environments that we've heard such negative things about, right? Like we see colleagues that are, are committing suicide that have been prominent figures in the veterinary industry and nobody would see that coming, right? So then, then we feel like we're going to be a target to this epidemic. Um, and and that being said, we try to find different um, avenues that we can take to prevent us from ever ending up in that situation. Um, and that's going to cause a lot more people to just kind of focus more on innovating and doing different things like telehealth, telemedicine, um, and, and just kind of finding their own paths. And, and it is going to be hard for employers to find veterinary, veterinarians to fill in these positions. I completely agree. And I think that's what a lot of people struggle with, man. And I think you did such a good job today of giving people, you know, the student look and, you know, the young smart guy view of veterinary medicine. So if people wanted to follow you, and, you know, keep in contact with you. How can they find you? How can they follow you? How can they interact with you? Absolutely. So I'm pretty active on Instagram. I'm all about, like I said before, I'm all about networking and sharing my journey and helping anybody that's ever struggling and creating community, right? I'm, I'm very passionate about that. So um, Instagram is probably the best place to reach me. Uh, so my handle is at Juancho. <laughs> Uh, dot the dot student dot vet <laughs> so Juancho the student vet and Juancho is just a nickname that uh, I acquired uh, fr from my family when I was born it's a very typical Colombian nickname for people that are named Juan and uh, it's something that I, I identify a lot with because uh, it, it kind of brings me back to my roots and where I'm from. So a lot of people also call me Juancho, but I'm fine with Juan or Juancho. It doesn't matter to me. So you can find me on Instagram for sure. And then um, Facebook, the same handle if you're interested, or you can always shoot me an email. I can, I can send you my email after this and you can add it if you want, Adam. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate your time so much. Thanks for being here. Thanks for everything. You can also, everyone out there, you can also follow at Latinx Vet on Instagram as well to see what the Latinx Veterinary Medical Association is doing. Their website's coming soon. I'm staring at it right now. It is beautiful. It is incredible. It's vibrant. Our team is crushing it. We're, I, we love working with you guys. And I, I can't be more appreciative of your time, man. Thank you so much. And we'll, uh, we'll look forward to catching up soon. Everyone out there listening, make sure you like share subscribe rate whisker talks we're on apple spotify google all that fun stuff and everyone have a great rest of your day thank you so much adam appreciate it thanks man